Jack's breath turned to steam in the freezing night air. He is lying flat on his belly, hidden in the dense fir trees. There is a full moon beaming down on the snow-covered ground around him. He is waiting for the signal. A wolf is howling somewhere close by. Ahead of Jack, past the tree line, there is a large fur trapper's hut. At a glance, the hut looks uninhabited. There are no lights at the windows. Then, as Jack watches, a lantern suddenly flashes out from the hut. This was the signal Jack was waiting for. He raises his gloved hand high and is greeted with the sound of snow being crunched by heavy men getting to their feet. The man follows their example and pulls out his flintlock pistol and primes it. Turning around, he looks with satisfaction at the 30 men before him. All are dressed in heavy cloaks and high cordoban leather boots. Under their cloaks glinted light plate armour and at their waists they are all wearing sharp sabres. Giving the order, the armed party advances out of the fir trees towards the hut. Their mission is to catch brandy smugglers red-handed. As they near the hut, they can see four men around a table lit up by the lantern recently lit. Two of the men were clearly European colonists. They wore collared white shirts, leather waistcoats, stockings and buckles in their shoes, clearly unsuitable for the cold weather. The other two men were wrapped in furs and were native to these lands. They were clearly haggling. Jacques motions to his men to encircle the hut and draw swords. The men do as they are told, and soon the place is surrounded. Looking to the west, Jacques can see an angry-looking mounted force racing up the slope towards his party. It won't be long now. He gives the order and his men storm the property, surprising the smugglers and their customers, who had no time to either fight or flee. They take control in an instant. Jacques has the men brought out into the yard and forces them to kneel. One of the Europeans defiantly looks up at Jacques and says, You have no authority here. You do not know who you are dealing with. Then he spots the mounted party speedily arriving and remarks, You're in trouble now. I hope you are fond of prison food. Jacques laughs, confusing the man. Being arrested was all part of the plan. As the mounted men reach the hut, Jacques orders his men to drop their weapons and kneel. They all do so and willingly allow themselves to be arrested. This is all going so smoothly, Jack thought, as he is led away by an irate sergeant. Hello there, listener, and welcome back to the Cloak and Dagger podcast. You are listening to the final episode in this series. I know, and you are listening to your host, uh, Will Davis Coleman, and as ever, I am joined by Patrick Courtney. Hey, Patch, how are you? I'm good. Is this a kind of bittersweet? It's not a bittersweet moment because it's not like this is the end of the podcast. Or is it? No, it isn't. No, we, no. Are, we are keeping going. <laughs> no, it's not the end, but it does feel like an ending. It feels like end of phase one. Yeah, exactly. So as you might know, listeners, if you've been listening for a very, very long time, this podcast was born out of lockdown. And since then, we have been slowly and surely trying to change up the way we make our podcasts. And from now on... What's going to happen, Patrick? We are moving to regular releases, which is big for us. Um, So obviously we've been doing everything in season so far, but we are moving to regular releases. We unfortunately can't do every week because that is... It takes a a lot goes into these episodes. We actually do do a lot of research for them. It takes quite a while to edit them. We both have full-time jobs, so we we are busy people. But we will be releasing once a month, and we hope to continue that for... Ever? Pretty much. Pretty much ever. Yeah. yeah until one of us dies. <laughs> oh, God. That's a, that's a morbid... Well, Cloak and Dagger, I guess. Yeah. Started with assassination. Also assuming that we don't continue when one of us dies and we don't replace the other one. Which I probably would. Would I think I would as well. <laughs> I think I think it I think it would go, go on stronger. <laughs> this has taken a really weird we have turn. To find, who would we find? Okay, well, the, the irrelevant. But yes, we are moving to once a month. We're probably being a bit looser with our kind of structure. So a lot of our seasons in the past have been based around assassinations or cities or what was the other one? Wars. Battles. Battles. See, I don't really remember most of this stuff. <laughs> but we are now moving to a bit more of a free form where we kind of just dive into topics we find really interesting. Something that we've kind of found a bit constraining in the past has been like finding a really interesting story and then realizing it has nothing to do with the the theme of the episode. So we've had to put it to one side. But all of these episodes we can now bring back and talk about some really interesting stuff and really unusual stuff, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, as you say, as you've probably noticed, listener, most of this series, we haven't really 
done much with the cities themselves. Yeah, we tend to go a bit out of it, don't we? Yeah, we always start, and this episode is no exception, we always start away from the city, bring our characters in, and then normally bounce off it. Yeah, yeah, they're, so, they're, they're there for a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, and that's because we, we find these stories, but we then feel constrained to find them with something to do with whatever city we're in. So it's not going to be the end of all city episodes. I'm sure we'll kind of come back to it. But the point is, we're now going sort of freestyle which we're really looking forward to from a creative angle. Yes, and hopefully it will be just as interesting, if not more interesting, for you, dear listeners. I just want to remind you guys that uh, we obviously are on Instagram, where you can get in touch with us directly, at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, if you haven't already got that from every episode so far yeah. in this series. Um, so yeah, follow us there. We have all of our posts, you know the drill. And uh, tell your friends, and why not leave a review? If you're on uh, Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening from, we really, really appreciate it. We do really appreciate it. It's really great hearing from you guys. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, let's, let's do it. Let's start. So to dive into this final episode of the series, we are, of course, back in Montreal. And it's my turn to take the reins from Patrick's capable hands in our last episode. Thank you. Capable hands. I like that. Yeah, of course. And uh, if you haven't listened to our first episode of This City... Go back and listen to that first because that's a really good backdrop to what I'm going to talk about today. See, now that sounds insulting that mine's just a backdrop to your oh, no, episode. No, not at all. It has just scene setting. <laughs> I didn't mean that at all. It's I very rude. <laughs> I meant more that there is so much in there that it's rich mm. with with the culture of where we're talking about today. Much better. I like that. Good. I'm back on board. <laughs> From what I can tell is that like my episode is much more it was a bit broader about like the big social political events of the time. Yeah. Which from what you hinted at last week is not the case here. Much more focused. Yeah, a bit more focused. I realised when I said that last week, um I hadn't quite finished all of the research. <laughs> and actually it's still fairly broad, but um it's much more about a person. I guess yours was too though, so it's difficult. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. We're gonna start, as always, with a little bit of a history in a nutshell of the city. However, obviously last week Patrick took it all the way up to roughly 1700 the start of time to about 1700 exactly so i'm going to go from there up to the modern day just so we can complete that for you ocd listeners who'll be going (laughs) but what happened in the last 300 years in montreal yeah find out yourself stop relying on us no no i like it i like it keep keep asking Anyway, so after the period which Patrick spoke about on our last episode, Montreal um, maintained a steady growth, really, throughout the 17th and into the 18th century. Uh, It remained in French hands until 1760, when the pesky British overcame the garrison during the Seven Years' War. Of course Uh, we did. Okay. So yeah, 1760. When did yours finish? 1700? 1701, yeah. Right, so 59 years after... Good maths. Mm. Not really. Well, it was because the the if you uh, spoiler alert for last week's episode, but it ended in a very a great piece of Montreal, and it lasts basically until the British arrive. So this is the end of that piece. I see. Still pretty good run. Yeah, good run, especially with the British being held off for that long. Yeah, yeah. You know. Anyway, so after that, um, they didn't hold it for very long. However, before another power entirely took it over. So Another the Brits, power. yeah, the Brits take it over from the French. Who do you think takes it from the English, from the British? In seventeen seventy-five, it's going to be the Americans, isn't it? Exactly. And um, they seventeen seventy-five. Oh yeah, seventeen seventy-six. Do, do they count as Americans? Yeah, I guess they do. Kind of, really. Of course they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're yeah. born in America, then they're well. By if that, they're, they're thirteen colonists, just rebelling thirteen colonists, rebelling thirteen colonists. Yeah. yeah. Um, so an American army took the city by force as part of Benedict Arnold's campaign to take Quebec, while he was still on the American side. Yes, before he turned coat famously and became a British general who then completely flubbed it and made the worst decision ever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, he was on his way to take Quebec and he sent forces to take Montreal on the way there. Um, they held it for about five months before the British inevitably retook control. Right. So yeah, Montreal was officially actually incorporated in as a city in 1832. So quite late, really. Wow. So it, 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 it kind of grew just slowly over time. And at that point, they're like, yeah, this is probably... 
I think it was that there were loads of, you know, you said last week there was like Fort Marie and there was Montreal. There were all these basically polities. Yeah. A bit like Rome. You know how Rome was seven tribes and then yes. they incorporated. It's the same thing. It's not really of. one thing until it kind of, it, all of them grew into each other and they went, okay, we should call this the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. So then in 1832, it officially becomes a city. And then by 1860, so really less than 30 years, it was the largest city in all of Canada and was the economic and cultural hub of the nation. Wow. It's yeah. a pretty good job. I mean, it's in a very well... It's a, it's an advantageous, advantageous position, mm. being an island in a river that goes into a bay that faces the rest of Europe, really. I mean, that's where ships and lots of trade would be flowing into, and then also as a very important trading post. As the First Nations peoples who are in there, you know, it was an important point for them. So I guess it's... Again, it's the same thing. All cities are actually just based on good trading posts from the people who used to live there before. And that's yeah. exactly what happens here. Absolutely. Look at Kabul, look at Rome, look at Alexandria. I guess Dublin doesn't quite fit that, but whatever. Doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, that was a, that was at the beginning. That was yeah, weeks yeah. ago. Um, anyway, so uh, yes, it actually became the capital of Canada, which oh, I didn't know. Really? Yeah, yeah. In 1844, but it was the province of Canada because it was still owned by the British Empire. So its capital was still technically London, but... But it, it wasn't. The... It wasn't Quebec. It wasn't Ottawa. It wasn't Toronto. Really? It was Montreal. And those, I guess, those places were still because Quebec City was founded before because it's around then. So mm. it was around. Yeah. But interesting. Yeah. So Montreal was still. Montreal was much more important then for that reason. Um. But for only five years. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, because then what happened was a massive mob burnt down its parliamentary building. Wow. Uh, probably against British rule. I didn't really look into it, but it's not that surprising. That sounds likely. Um, and so actually, uh, weirdly enough, the capital was then rotated between Toronto and Quebec whilst Ottawa was being established. And then it became Ottawa, once it had been established, became the permanent capital in 1857. So they just kind of like, we don't know where to put it now. We'll build somewhere, but let's just keep it in the air for now. We'll keep it moving. Potato yeah. Between Toronto and Quebec. <laughs> what a weird time that would have been. Like, where's your capital? I don't know. Let's just honestly. check the week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it should be in Quebec today. It's, it's like um, divorced parents. So it's like, well, I get the capital Mondays to Thursdays. You get every other weekend. And <laughs> and then we just try and make this work. We try and make it make sense. Exactly. And eventually the capital leaves on its own and builds its own city and strikes out. <laughs> it's exactly what happens. Um, now, Montreal, after its brief time as the capital of the province of Canada, um starts to it, no it maintains its economic dominance in Canada even after that mm -hmm. until the 1950s oh okay so quite a long time um but then toronto takes it over yeah. and the toronto stock exchange stock exchange booms sure um and then the city went into a slight decline and then but by the time of current day 21st century um so far has seen a massive revival in both the economic and cultural heritage of the city Good for them. I know. So they've done a bit of a bounce back. They're glowing yeah. up. Neither we've ne neither of us have been to Montreal. I've never been to Canada. Neither have I. We really should go. This, yeah. if anything, this series is really making me want to go to lots of places. <laughs> it's been a while since we've um, been on holiday. <laughs> yeah, Montreal's probably a bit easier to get to than Kabul nowadays, but sadly, shame. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather go to Kabul. No offense, Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm fascinated by by uh, Afghan politics, and yeah, yeah, history. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that is for another time. Now let's get into the meat of the episode. So today's tale is going to, as we've already mentioned, focus on basically one individual. Okay, and that individual is a man named Jacques Bizarre. The guy from the beginning. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's clever how we do this. Yeah, no, it's almost like it's planned. Um, it's so, almost like it's planned. <laughs> so Jacques, um, his surname is spelled B-I-Z-A-R-D. But I think in French you drop the D. So it's bizarre, like bizarre. Bizarre. <laughs> Jacques Bizarre. So he'll be known as Bizarre for the rest of the episode. It's <laughs> a good name. It is. And he's fully French. Well, hang on. No, Ooh. he is not. He was born in the Swiss town of Neuchâtel. Oh, okay. Um, back in 1642. Right. My knowledge of Switzerland is very limited, I think, throughout history. I'm so glad you said that, because I'm now going to tell you a little bit about Switzerland in 1642. Go on. <laughs> He's just leant back in his chair and has taken yeah. a, a sort of very listening uh, pose. I feel like we've done quite a good job of being, like, across the world. So I'm normally okay, but I don't, we've never done anything on Switzerland. No, we haven't, which is really nice. Oh, actually, no, we, Geneva was where my ancestor killed that regicide. 
Oh, yeah, but we ba- it was barely about Switzerland. They were just like, yeah, you can kill them. Yeah, exactly. That was the extent of knowledge <laughs> of Switzerland. They were okay with murder as long as you did it somewhere else. Oh, and actually, didn't Bruno... No, yeah, Bruno was in Geneva as well, in our in our. Oh, Roma that's true, episode. actually, yeah, yeah. But anyway, actually, that's an important thing. If you didn't listen to that episode, I've just been uh, time-coding it, which is why I know this. <laughs> um, uh, so our, our hero of the day, well... Hero or anti-hero? You make your own choice by the end of this episode. Ooh, good. So I will make a choice, and then the listeners will also make a choice. Yeah. But mine is mine will be said on the podcast, so it gets more credit. But you oh, know. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the first thing to say what it is that Switzerland was a mixture of religion between the Catholics and the not Catholics. Just the not Catholics. Well, I didn't want to... The Calvinists. Oh, okay, right, right. So the Calvinists <laughs> are like Lutherans. They're the Protestants. They're the ones who broke away. Yes. I right. thought you were going to say like there was like Muslims there or something. I know, I realised <laughs> as soon as I said it that I shouldn't have put it that way. But anyway, this man, Jacques Bizarre, was the son of a Calvinist pastor. Okay. So really, really not Catholic. Yes. You know, not good. Um, And the thing about the Calvinists is they're the guys who don't adorn their churches at all. So no gold, no... No sort of idols. It's whitewashed churches with yeah. very sort of sober, somber, black wearing. The guys who founded America, yeah. kind of. Not Puritans. Really. The Puritans, of. yeah. And, like, and not to be insulting, but, you know, the churches which are less interesting to go to nowadays. I guess so, yeah. I mean, you know, lots of history, but, you know, without the gild and gold. And it's like it's like you a like bad a, episode of Cribs. Listen, Patrick, we get it. You like a, you like a fancy church. Yeah, yeah. You do as well. <laughs> I never said I didn't. But anyway, so Switzerland had gone through this huge Protestant reformation really recently, but many Swiss were still Catholic. So it was a it was a changing, it was a fluid situation. Mm-hmm. At this time, Switzerland was split into 13 cantons, which are like areas, 13 regions. Cantons? Is yeah. it like indicating who rules it, like princedoms or duke? No, I think they're all, or... they all have their own separate uh, polities that work oh, really? differently but they are still the same country yeah okay so it's not like, like holy roman emperor kind of it kind of is kind it's of like, like holy roman emperor but just on a very small scale right okay um and they had just gained their independence from the holy roman empire oh nice uh, at this time with the help of catholic france okay oh i see so it's a complicated situation there's a lot going on there yeah, yeah. the french are sort of like we are like your big brother who are gonna help you but at the same time, you're kind of our vassals. Yes. And also screwing over the Holy Roman Empire. Is what the French love Great to do. idea for the French to do. Yeah, exactly. So as a result, obviously, France and Switzerland are very close allies. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time of Bizarre's birth, uh, Switzerland had been a neutral country for over a century. However, they were already famous for their formidable mercenaries. Famously, they guard the Pope to this Swiss day. Swiss guard, yeah. Yeah, since 1506. 1506 that started. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be older. Really? I don't know why, but I assumed... I guess the garb is that they wear nowadays is from 1506, isn't must it, really? Be, absolutely must be. So yeah. I guess it's weird for them to update it to a point and then go, no, we're done now. <laughs> We've reached peak and now we hold. <laughs> I mean, I'd agree with them if they reach peak. It's they fucking look, awesome outfits. They really do, they really do. But the reason for telling you that mm-hmm. is that Bizarre decides that he's going to join the mercenaries. Right, okay. Which obviously they're famous for. So he isn't sort of the scholarly type. No. He is definitely much more the brute. So Probably. the opposite to Bruno that we were talking about earlier in the season. Those two are like chalk and cheese. Right. Okay. I really can't see much of a, a sort of... A, actually, no, no, no. They're pretty They're pretty different. Anyway, so this is where Bizarre really starts to enter our story. So in 1669, he travelled south out of the mountains to Venice, which isn't actually that far from Switzerland. No. Likely, we believe, with a mercenary group from Switzerland okay. looking for work. Now, why go to Venice, you might ask? Well, the Venetians still had one little part of their overseas empire, which had been basically slowly crumbling yeah. as the Ottoman Empire, which is modern-day Turkey mainly, um, was starting to get bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and this last little piece of their empire was the island of Crete. Oh, oh, that makes sense, actually, yeah. Mm. Given geography, yeah. Given geography, yeah, the whole the whole study. Um, Did that sound patronising? No, 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 it didn't. No, no, no. <laughs> Given geography. It sounded quite sassy. Oh, right, right, okay. <laughs> um, so the, the war had actually already been raging there for 24 years between the Ottomans and the Venetians. Right, okay, so the Ottomans are pressing the Venetians hard. Beating them hard, but the Venetians aren't budging, so mm-hmm. it's a real stalemate. Uh, although the writing's pretty much on the wall at this point, Yeah, that the Ottomans are going to take it, spoilers. Well, at this point, the Ottomans are huge. Oh, yeah. Like, they are 
powerhouse. Absolutely. Um, so it was almost certainly going to be the result that Crete was going to be lost. But Bizarre might have been, we believe, one of the last reinforcements to be sent out by the Venetians. Oh, that's a, not a good position to be in. I don't know why he chose to go. It just seems ridiculous. Glory. My... And maybe he didn't know how badly it was going. I mean, yeah. would would Venetians or, or Swiss really know how bad it was going? Because all of those countries were probably inflating the qualities of Christian soldiers against the Ottoman Empire. So they might not have known. Very possibly. But also, Bizarre liked a coin. Ooh, okay. So he was just paid. He saw the money and probably went mm. and thought, probably, I'm not going to have to see out this contract because by the time I get there, oh. it might already be over and I've been paid. That's Oops. a really clever idea or a really dumb one, depending on what happens. <laughs> well, quite. Um, but since we're going to Montreal and not to Probably turns Istanbul. out quite well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not going on a slave He's got ship. to get it there somewhere. I mean, <laughs> unless this is a real departure from our city season. Yeah, I've nowhere near I've Montreal. literally just completely gone off. Yeah, yeah. I've gone completely rogue. Um, no, so... Uh, so whilst Bizarre was fighting a lost war, basically, for an empire he didn't even belong to, against an enemy that were far mightier, mm-hmm. he met a Frenchman. Okay, normal. Not just a Frenchman, a Catholic one. Okay. Now remember, he's a Calvinist. They shouldn't get on. They shouldn't get on. Sounds like a sitcom ready to happen. But honestly... A Catholic and a Calvinist. It's a... <laughs> share, a share a flat. <laughs> it's a meet-cute. Oh. They really, 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 really get on. What's the Frenchman's name? Louis Bouard. It's a pretty good name. It's a pretty good, pretty good French name. But as we all know him from now on and how history knows him, he was the Comte de Frontenac. The Comte de Frontenac. Yeah, and mm. Frontenac is how he will be known for the rest of the podcast. Easier to say. Yeah, because I can't <laughs> say the rest of it. Um, so Frontenac uh, was... Uh, hang on, no, so... So when Bizarre met Frontenac, he was at the rank of a captain because mm-hmm. he'd probably purchased his commission because he came from a fairly well-off background. Not not amazing, but enough. Mm-hmm. Frontenac is a lieutenant general. Which is higher? Than a captain, yeah, right at the very top. I, you know, who knows? I'm you don't know the difference between a captain and a general? Well, you said lieutenant general, though. Ah, uh, you heard lieutenant. I was, more hearing, I was more hearing lieutenant and I was like, lieutenant and a captain... Yeah, no, no, lieutenant is less than a captain. Yeah, so... But, okay, I should have just said general, I don't know why. <laughs> it's just the way it's written. Is lieutenant like like assistant to, essentially, that's what it means? I don't know what it stands for. Like, it means, like, lesser than the next thing I'm about to say. Maybe, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, it must be, because you have lieutenant colonel. Yeah. As well, which is the one below. Like junior. Yeah, must be. Uh, but anyway, for whatever reason. Uh, so Frontenac, his new best mate, mm-hmm. is a general, and he's a captain. Okay. So they, they, they're walking in very different circles. Yeah. But they both meet at the siege of the last place in the whole of Crete still belonging to the uh, to the Venetians. So they're literally the last people there, pretty much. Wow. So they clearly got on, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure how they met. I'm just imagining they met literally... You know, at the battle. At the battle. Yeah. But they probably met in a camp, probably gambling or something. Yeah. Well, you never know. Let's assume it's the more cinematic choice, and they met on the battlefield. One of them saved the other's life, or something, and and then they go, oh, and they realise they're they're like star-crossed lovers because they're like Catholic and Calvinist, and I'm assuming a kind of romantic relationship as well. Even if that's not the case, that's how I'm imagining. Oh, this, I just when I was writing this, I was thinking of the romantic side as well. Definitely. I can't wait to read your fanfic of this. <laughs> <laughs> just you wait. Yeah. Um. So yes. Yeah, so uh, somehow they met. And Frontenac very quickly promoted him to be his aide-de-camp, which oh. is literally his right-hand man. God, that is lovely. You know, in that. Hamilton, I love how I get it into every episode. Yeah. Hamilton's the aide-de-camp to Washington. Gotta be right-hand man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's... He's his right-hand man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is Frontenac older? Oh, yes. Oh, okay, right. Not much older, but a mature man. Okay. <laughs> Call it with the fanfic, really man. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so soon, the, sorry, soon the two of them became inseparable friends. It was really funny, actually, when I was researching this, I found lots of because obviously lots of it's in French, mm-hmm. but it had been poorly translated or it had been literally translated from oh, okay. French. Yeah, Google which, Translate. No, 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 it wasn't Google Translate. Someone had done this. This was published in English, hmm. but someone had literally just translated it almost word for word. 
and it's so flowery so it Is does it? read like fan fiction oh. part of this but anyway so they become fast friends very quickly and brothers in arms mm-hmm. and bizarre was even persuaded by his new friend to renounce his calvinism and become a catholic wow that's a big step that's massive that is huge i mean i i kind of said it as a joke but this does sound like it could have been a slightly more romantic connection because that's a big deal to just throw away everything yeah. for just a friendship i mean obviously in a promotion mm. but and maybe that's so it's i you know you could look at it more positively and it could be a romantic and a lovely story or he's realizing he can go far with this guy i mean it could be a bit of both it Why could not be both? a bit of but that's true yeah. All's fair in love and war. Exactly. And they get a plenty of both. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this actually turned out to be a bit of a bad, at the time, a bad career move for Bizarre. Because in order for him to become the aide-de-camp to Frontenac, he had to leave his Swiss company. Right. And what happens is, literally three months after joining Frontenac's staff, the Venetians get pissed off with Frontenac and send him back to France. Because basically Frontenac was leading not quite mercenaries, but like the French contingent sent to sort of help the Venetians. But not part of the French army. No. So it's kind of a bit... Are they like privateers, kind of that sort of thing? Like you're signed off on by the king, but you're not really part of us. Yeah, Yeah, it was a bit like sort of the Venetians went, help, help. And the French <laughs> went, oh, we have to do something. Oh, you yeah. know what we should do? I'm not going to do the accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll just send Frontenac with some of his mates. Okay, okay. Kind of thing. And he's not officially part of us, but we're doing something. We're at the time of the Musketeers. Oh, So okay. you're talking about sort of swashbuckling and sort of, you know, mm. like that kind of thing. Yeah, I Sword know. fighting. I, fanficking. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this should be fanfic. Anyway, um, so they dismiss him and they send him back to France. Because okay. basically they're about to lose the war. And so they're like, well, just get out. You're not helping. Yeah, you're yeah. just swanning around with these Swiss mercenaries yeah. <laughs> who are meant to be doing the job. Um, so... Frontenac and Bizarre return to France. So he's, well, I don't know if he'd ever been to France before, but Bizarre doesn't return to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. He follows his new best chum, Frontenac, back to France, where they slightly part ways. Ah, oh. Not for long. Don't okay. worry. Good. It, it'll come back. But when All they... good love stories include this part of it. Well, quite. But the thing is, just because you're friends on, on the battlefield and between the sheets, maybe... When you get back to high oh my society, God, meeting the parents. Oh yeah, like it's you know it, it's like it's like a love when you're on holiday or something. Exactly. It's like in the stark light of France, <laughs> it's a very different situation. Well, it really is because this is the time of the Sun King Louis the Fourteenth, yeah. right? So very hierarchical, absolute monarchy. Mm. Frontenac is posh, if you like. Bizarre Ooh. is very middle class. Oh, man. So which didn't really have a place in in France at the time. Mm. So they had very different problems. So for a time, you know, they were like, oh, keep in touch, you know, mm. Bezos. Can't be seen with your working class bimbo on the side. <laughs> I didn't really think it was going to go this far. But anyway, that's probably what Frontenac said. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's not about spit beer everywhere. <laughs> so Frontenac, on the other hand, um, when he got to France, he actually had tons and tons of debt to deal with, which okay. is very fashionable. In, 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 <laughs> really? in the 17th century France. Yeah. If you're the posh, in thing. If you had debt, it's like, oh, oh, I have so much debt. It's it means great. you're good at spending money. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was, oh, I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, sort of thing. So he actually had, you would not believe how much, he had 325,000 livres. That's how much he owed people, his debtors. Do we know what that would be nowadays? Oh, we do. Oh. <laughs> 61 million pounds. What? <laughs> 61 million in debt? Yep. How rich is he? Well, he wasn't. That was the point. I think yeah, but he borrowed like, against but his to, holdings. But to be able to be in that much debt... Like, we couldn't get into that much debt. No, but let me explain. The Frontenacs are an old, old, old... Uh, sorry, French. I almost said Jordan. French family. Okay. So Old the, money. You're talking really old money. Aristocracy. So your name carried a lot of weight for a start with creditors, but also mm. there were land holdings. He's... he's he, so he's in the time of the Musketeers, but you go back 200 years and the Frontenacs are knights fighting in the Crusades. Right, okay. So he's might, he might be kind of asset rich. Maybe 400 Capital years. rich. But yeah. You know, he's got land and his family's got land. And maybe that's the thing. You can get in debt if your family's a big deal. But not just that. He's got the ear of the king. Ooh. The Sun King. One of the yeah. best kings. Well, the best. One of the most celebrated kings of all of France's long history. Longest reigning like European monarch, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So a very, very uh, 
interesting set of circumstances that Frontenac comes back to, whereas Bizarre is sent in, he is enlisted with the help of Frontenac into the Swiss mercenary guard employed by the French king. Ah, okay, so he goes kind of back to the Swiss, but weirdly gets in by his French boyfriend. Well, yes, and if you think about it, Frontenac, very close to the king, Mm -hmm. literally very close. In those days, your patronage was how literal close you were to the king. Yeah. And then who's guarding the king? The Swiss guard. So they're probably like making eyes across the uh, the throne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very, that's, I mean, you know, Bizarre's getting a lot out of this, you know. Oh, he is, but I think he's giving a lot too. So anyway, I mean, Moving on. So uh, if you're front, Frontenac, right, mm-hmm. 61 million pounds, or sorry, 325,000 leave. That's a lot. Of, big money, yeah. That's like, I'm going to murder you money at yeah. this stage. Even back then, even with a name like Frontenac, you're in trouble. And he's only and his only protection is that he's got the ear of the king. So exactly. if that goes, which, you know, kings are very fickle, could go in an instance and he's dead. Exactly. So you're running out of options. Your best bet is to try and get the hell away from Paris. You want to get away from the creditors. Super far. Super far. Like over an ocean. (laughs) Exactly. This better be an over an ocean, otherwise we're not getting to Montreal anytime soon. Well, so fortunately, the French king was in need of a new governor of New France. Ah. Which is where Canada is today. Yes. So Frontenac jumped at the opportunity, obviously, and just before he took ship, who did he remember to pack into his baggage? Oh, well, he's got to. His bezzy mate, yeah. Bizarre, with him. And this was in 1672. So they arrived back in 69 and they go in 72. Nice. <laughs> okay. So you really didn't expect this the way the direction would go. I didn't, but I'm loving it. Um, so New France, a little bit of background. Right. New France was originally not controlled by the kings of France. Very important. Really? Yeah. It was a mercantile venture. Oh, yes, yes. As I'm sure you know. Yes, of course. It was established in 1534, but didn't really get going until around 1600. Mm-hmm. Okay. So wait, so even when it's mercantile... Because I knew I, I, they're still not under the rule they, of the... A kind of they are. They are, but they're not. In okay. terms of you haven't got royal troops over there. Right. Lots of merchants, but that's it. So I guess it's not actually too dissimilar to like 13 colonies. But no, I think 13 colonies had more. There was more, more of a military more, presence. They there. were more under the thumb, but then they were able to rebel. And, you know, I guess it, when you you're that it, far away, you can get away with murder. It was a bit like India and the British and in the early days. Yeah. So when the East India Company wasn't the behemoth it became, mm. all you had out there were the East India Company men. Yeah. That was it. There were no royal troops there. They were manipulators. They weren't... Um, <laughs> Fucking dominant conquering force of you know which maniacs. they you just wait they'll they'll get okay that. well yeah I'm not joking early so, in France so originally it was actually colonized um, by French immigrants but basically without much government support is basically what I'm saying okay. ah which I oh, know that's still kind of similar to it's like people escaping yeah but I don't think anyone's escaping here I think they 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 they, they got, saw an opportunity they saw opportunities because yeah. as you know if you're from Canada or been to Canada the main pool is the fur and timber trades. Mm, enough to start a war over. Well, Go exactly. see last week's episode. This is the thing. Go see, go see last... Oh, fuck. I can't say it because it's not last week. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's not fine. a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, French companies were set up to extract these natural resources and export them back to France and to the European market. Yeah. So that's why it was set up. Um, and as a result, there were actually very few actual French settlers, even as late as 1650. Mm. There was re- it's shocking how few they were. You kind of imagine Europeans to arrive and like take over everything, but that's later. That's kind of manifest destiny. It's when all the you know First Nations people have kind of died off from diseases, they kind of arrive in force. Earlier on, it is a much smaller contingent. How many people do you think there were in New France who were from Europe um, in 1650? I mean, I should know this because I did all the research for our series because I know there were so few in Montreal. Is it still in like the thousands? What to take guess? I don't know, 8,000. 700. Really? 700. Like 200 of them are in Montreal because that was like how big the settlement was. I assumed there'd be a bit. I I'm guess... guessing the rest are in Quebec. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other 500. 700. 700. Unbelievable. Really? That was it. That's how small we're talking. So it's not like 13 colonies like that. No, not at all. No, it's very underdeveloped. But the reason for that is because, as we learned last week, 
the French were were basically very good manipulators into using the Native American peoples, the First yes. Nation peoples, to do their bidding because they're much better at actual fur trapping mm. than the French are. The French are great middlemen, and they're obviously the agents back in Europe. Yes, so, I mean you say manipulation. It it is a, it was a transactional. You know they were paying for things and handing over stuff that the First Nation people didn't have. Yeah, true, true. Such as muskets, as we found Such out. Such as muskets, which, you know, didn't end that well. So, into New France mm-hmm. comes Frontenac and Bizarre. Great, okay. love it. Frontenac. Whole new world. Yeah, whole new world. Exactly. You can be a whole new person. Well, yeah, but they don't need to be. Maybe a that's where they friend, can share. You can be a new man. <laughs> I love it. I feel like we could do a drinking game where... Every episode drink yeah. when you hear the Hamilton reference. Because yeah. it comes up in almost every or episode. Or Les Mis. Or Les Mis, for you. I don't know why I bring up Les Mis. I also don't know why we do this. It's not like we're massive... Um, I mean, we are... Ca- but, like, that's I not like... I adore Hamilton. Uh, yeah, I guess. But, like, it's not like it's our entire personality. It didn't... During lockdown, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe I used that's to run to that. I used to literally run with Rich to that. To the uh, didn't want to hear what Rich was talking about. No, it's boring. No, 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 it wasn't really. Um, We're getting off topic. We really are. Okay, so Frontenac's coming in as the new governor of New France, mm-hmm. and he makes Bizarre an officer in his elite guard corps. Mm. Probably likes him in uniform. I'm feeling. You know what that really reminds me of? You know, because um, the other drinking game would be every time I bring up Game of Thrones, but Renly and Loras Terrell, like he names <laughs> him to his guard and they have, because he wants to be near him all the time. God, I really didn't think they were. I, to be honest, I kind of said this are. as a joke. I now kind of think it's, I mean, maybe we're reading too much into it, but the close connection, the willing to give up your religion, the continual like supporting each other, like... It's an unusual thing to do, even for a very close friend, especially back then with weird toxic masculinity. Like, why would you, unless it's a family, like, it does sound like they might have had a closer relationship than just friendship. And you haven't even heard that the rest, I know what's coming. Yeah. And I I think that this is, I think it is. I think it's, I don't, it's, not, it's not said anywhere in any of the sources that I've read. Is this our first exclusive? No, we've done these before. Yeah, well. But this one I love the most. I think this is, I think this is really have you real. noticed the last series that I finished we finished but my last episode <laughs> was finished. about lovers casanova yeah. and now i'm doing lovers again i seem to this get is much, all romantic this is a much nicer end. one he of was course. a terrible person this, this guy is, mm, this guy's not great yeah but the 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 loving relationship is he's is best nice. than casanova that i will give him he probably look great in an elite guard corps uniform oof because otherwise i do wonder why didn't he just oh. put him into a job which is in the administration you know why? Why put him in the guard? Still, the other thing is he might have been a bit thick, or you know, like not not built for a desk. Built no. as a man of action. Well, he. I mean, that's his that's his life's work. He doesn't want to put him behind a desk because that's bizarre. Wants to be out there. He wants to be fighting. He but, wants to be protecting Fontenac. Possibly, yeah. Like there's a, they, you know, it would make sense. And also that you're right. That's it's flashier. It's sexier to be man in uniform. But then at the same time, things start to get a little dark here. Okay. Okay. Not Casanova, Dark, don't worry. <laughs> so basically, he becomes front. Sorry, Bizarre becomes Frontenac's fixer. Right. Because the thing about New France is that it might sound all flashy and sort of lovely. Mm-hmm. Massive, massive, massive corrupt place. Well, it's it. It doesn't sound like the, it sounds like it can't be corrupt because there is no established order. Well, this it's is just doggy dog. West, yeah, yeah. Basically. Um, with this sort of like, and the thing is, because he's the governor, he has sort of the jurisdiction of the king to do what he wants. Basically. Carte blanche, yeah, yeah. So, but he gets his right hand man slash lover mm-hmm. to do it all for him. Mm. So, Bizarre's first mission and most important mission comes in 1673. Okay, so this is two years into yes. the governorship. Frontenac did not like the governor of Montreal. Hooray! We <laughs> finally made it to Montreal, all the way back to Montreal. Exactly. Sorry, guys, but it is a good story. So, so where, where's Frontenac based? Frontenac is based in Quebec. Oh, okay, because that so that at that time is the kind of quasi capital. Quasi capital. Most. I mean, if he's the governor of New France, then that's where he's established. It kind of is geographically. Geographically speaking, you you have Quebec and Montreal on the Saint Lawrence River. Yeah. Quebec, I know you know this. I'm saying it for the listener. But I, I thought you were looking at me like, <laughs> yeah, I, I fucking know this. Yeah, I, wa- <laughs> I was. And I realised, yes, you should be explaining this to listen as well. At the, so the thing about, uh, so those two places, Montreal is downriver. Mm-hmm. Quebec is right at the very mouth of, of St. Lawrence River. So if you're mm. coming from France, 
you would get to Quebec first and whoever's closest to the king. Imagine if you put uh, uh, the governor in Montreal and then a rival, say, Mm. was in Quebec. He would always get back to France and tell the king or, you know, have the influence. That's why Quebec was probably more important at the beginning. Yes. And also Montreal will be naturally a bit more wild day or it's it's the edge of the frontier it's, it's where, where the resources are yeah it's it's the more important city but it's probably got it will have it will have more of an influence from the um first nations people there which is not very you know if you're posh and a twat you wouldn't like as much you want to be in the more quebec probably ended up being a bit more french yeah whereas montreal is the frontier city it's where it's where real stuff is happening but it is not the important way it's not the central power it's the dodge city of the wild west yes basically go. for this one of the wild west i'm sorry of the of new france in the, the wild northeast in the 17th century <laughs> yes <laughs> um so frontenac has a little bit of a problem he comes into power mm-hmm. and he really really doesn't like the governor of montreal who is the governor of montreal his name is perrault perrault or mm. perrault Yes. Poirot. <laughs> not Poirot. He's right. not a Belgian detective. Um, because he was basically a nasty piece of work. He's just a bad guy. Bad guy. Bad, bad, bad news bears. Right. Um, apparently, he was... How do I put this? So, obviously, as we just said, it's right on the frontier, if you like. So, you're you're face-to-face with the, with the producers of all of the reasons that you're actually in New France. Yeah. Okay? And the people who are fur trapping and the people who are timber felling mm-hmm. are the First Nation peoples. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, there's a lot of interaction between Perrault and the representatives of the First Nations. Mm-hmm. The problem is, he's not just dealing in timber and furs. Oh, God, here we go. He's also fostering a brandy habit within the First Nation. Oh. First Nation peoples. Intentionally, like maliciously. I don't know what came first, whether there was an addiction, whether they'd already got their hands on brandy, but basically there was like a real problem mm. with brandy drinking, alcoholism, real alcoholism amongst the First Nation peoples. God, that is like right out of white colonist playbook, like yeah. introducing strong alcohol to indigenous people to make them easier to manipulate. Uh, exactly. So what he was doing was he was obviously running an illicit trade in this alcohol and taking all the profits. Now, whether or not Frontenac was more thinking, well, excuse me, you can't just make the, an easy buck on off the back of my governorship, mm-hmm. or whatever the reason was. But basically, um, it it became a real problem for him straight away, and it took him a couple of years, 1673, they've already been there a couple of years, um, to go and do something about it. So who is he going to send to do these uh, to do away with this man? He's going to send Bizarre. Mm. Um, so he sends his dependable man, and they have a plan. The lovers have a plan. Right. To get Perrault mm-hmm. to arrest a royal official. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. You like it? That's a good plan. I like that. Unintentionally, without realising it, presumably. Well, yes, of course. Yeah. He hadn't... Oh, sorry. Bien sûr. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Bizarre would have a royal warrant on him to show that he was of the crown. Mm. Right? So, off Bizarre goes, in his lovely uniform, with his 30 men. Right. Going up north, or sorry, not north, south, no, southwest, towards Montreal. And when he gets there, he kicks up a bit of a fuss. So what does he do? He doesn't go and say hello to Perrault. He keeps himself hidden, wearing cloaks. Okay. Okay. And what he needs to do, because the way Perrault's system is set up, it's really quite intricate. He's basically got... The uh, the French con- the the French merchants who are right out there the agents yeah they're running it for him they're mm-hmm. his sort of go to men and then he's got agents in the First Nation peoples who are actual First Nation tribesmen yeah and then he's obviously got his customers God so it's a whole network he's set up yeah and, it, and he's making buku bucks he sounds like a kind of mafia don doesn't he like out here in the west like he is kind of king of his own kingdom absolutely so far from paris mm. he couldn't be further really at this time so um what so what bizarre has to do is basically get arrested right so what he does is he goes to some of perro's senior lieutenants in his illegal organization who are running the the operation and starts to basically destroy their stills and and arrest them 
right? Wow. Just on behalf of the king. Because exactly. he's on behalf of the new France governor. Yeah. But he doesn't say that. He just arrests them. Like I, at the beginning, at the top of this yes. episode. He's got them outside. And suddenly there's that... Do you remember I said there was an armed band coming up to... to that was Perrault's men. Ah, okay. But and they can't do anything in face of... Well, they don't know. They don't know who these men are. They just know that there's someone interfering with the governor's business. Right. So they arrest. They have no idea Bizarre what they're doing. And yeah. the 30 Frenchmen. Right. right? So then they, they then are taken back to Montreal and sh- shoved in prison. Mm. Right. As soon as Frontenac hears this, mm-hmm. he then has his perfect excuse to get Perrault removed. Because he has just laid hands on a member of a royal, a royal, royal messenger. Right. So as soon as he reaches, when when word reaches Frontenac in Quebec, he sends his entire force down to, which again isn't that many, because as I say, there's not that many people there. Um, he sends them all down to Montreal and has Bizarre released before putting Perrault in his own prison, which I think is brilliant. Jeez. And then he has him transported back to Quebec and then sent back to the Bastille in Paris. Wow, that's quite a lot of sway he's got then. Well, because he's the he's so the governor he runs the entire Frontenac yeah. is 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 the king's word, and he's still in very close. Well, not close because obviously half the world away, but in good in the good books of the king. Absolutely, like the king still likes him and yeah, he's probably still quite fickle and go yeah, I'll, I'll throw this guy in prison. This kind of ends after this moment. Though. Oh, okay. So he gets stepped him, a bit too far. Exactly. Perrault goes back and spends how long do you think he spends in the Bastille? Oof, days. Three weeks. Three weeks. So not that long. Not really. too bad. It's probably taken that long for people to realise who the hell he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Why have we arrested this guy? We'll look into this in a bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this actually really pissed off two people. Oh, two sets of people. The Montrealers, because mm. the Montrealers were all getting rich yes. off Perro, right? And their, their top man just got arrested exactly. by this weirdo who's just just rolling into town. Exactly. Yeah. And also the king. Now, the reason it's pissed off the king is because, basically, he doesn't like that, uh, that his governor is arresting people for no reason. He didn't really understand the reasoning. Right, okay. I was going to say, because it seems like arresting someone on, who is there for the king but like you know they're all there on behalf of the king like yeah. you know it's not like there's one level and another level i guess there's a little bit of that but like from the king's point of view it's like this was also my servant of the people you know like that kind yeah. of thing and it just makes him look bad it gives him more paperwork that he's got to get through yeah and also he just wants his money yeah he doesn't care about this stuff mm. but the thing is perot is released right okay and uh, and actually, the king has to send out orders to Frontenac saying that from now on, governors can only <laughs> arrest people on uh, on charges of treason and sedition, two things which are very rare to find in right. France. However, I can just imagine Frontenac just choosing someone and going, "You you you said something yeah, about like, the king. What, what did are, you say about king? What are they going to say? What is he going to say? He's half a world away. Like he can do what he wants. Exactly. So bizarre is a triumph. Mm. So he is rewarded handsomely for his services. Out Lovely. of the sheets and probably. And yeah. Frontenac gives him the Ile de Bonaventure. Lovely. Nicknames. And, and it, Isn't that sweet? <laughs> when a couple has Nick gives each other nice nicknames. <laughs> Very funny. Though it is the island which is just next to Montreal Island. Oh. Wow. Uh, yeah. God, I wish I got given an island. Well, to this day, it's known as the Ile de Bizarre. Really? Yeah. And wow. there is a bridge that connects the two called the Jacques Bizarre Bridge. Oh. So it's all the way till today. So, th- so because of these dodgy dealings, he gets an island, and hmm. he's also made mayor of Montreal. Oh, ooh, oh my God! What a, what a like salt in the wound, like to put your boyfriend as mayor, the guy who got you tricked into arresting someone and got you thrown in jail. Yeah, he then becomes the mayor. Yeah, he does, and the thing it takes a little bit of time, a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. 1678, he becomes mayor, so he can't do it straight away. But in the meantime, he's given a handsome pension and he's given an island. So he's doing all right. And mm. on that island at the time was where lots of the fur trapping was happening. So it was where the money was being made. Right. So okay. he was getting rich. Yes. Right. Uh, and obviously, I'm sure he was giving half of it back to Bizarre, uh, to, to Frontenac. Yeah. Because it's his man on the ground. Right. Well, so, and also they share. They probably have a shared bank account. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Go shopping go, on Saturdays. Yeah, joint account, you know. <laughs> so then uh, Bizarre becomes increasingly rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually Frontenac increases his salary to a whopping £300 a year 
So that's roughly a hundred thousand pounds a year in today's money. Oof. But in a in, in a place where there's only seven hundred people, that goes a lot further. You see what I mean? It's not. Yeah, like, also, but like, what can you buy? I don't think he did. I guess he could just rule as a king in his own yeah, right. Yeah, basically. he has now got infinite wealth. Effectively, like there's not there's not enough for him. There's not enough to spend that money on. Yeah, but this is the twist. Ooh, he's okay. not just earning money through this this salary that he's getting from his boyfriend. Mm-hmm. As soon as Perrault is out of the picture, Bizarre takes over the entire illicit alcohol trading. Thing. I mean, well, well, why wouldn't he? Of course I, he would. It's a cash cow. So I he's just—he's just set him out as the new Perro. Yeah, really, he's—he's he he, he's no change. He's just like the new Don taking over. Get this, Perro mm-hmm. comes back to Canada, makes his peace with Frontenac, right? And Frontenac says, "You're now the second in command under Bizarre." Uh, no in the, way. In the alcohol thing, yeah. Wow. So Perrault's okay fine. with that. Yeah, of course he is. Because he's still going to be on this cash cow. It's just going to be a little bit further down the gravy train. Oof. I mean, just like... The, just, he had to the, swallow his dignity for that, though. No, but they don't care. Yeah, they're making so much money. They're so making much money. So much So money. much francs. It's really like Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <funny. laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so this goes on for a number of years. Mm. At least four years. And that's a lot, a lot of brandy. Where are we up to? 16... 16... Now we're up to 1682. So 1678, he becomes mayor. Right, So okay. actually, he's been, actually, he's been running it since 1673. Mm. So he's been running it for nine years. So I'm finding it very interesting, like, trying to map it to my story last week. So this is, you know, peak fur wars. There's a lot of... I mean, they, they would be involved. They are the, the French supporters of the Wyandot and Algonquin First Nations peoples, you know, trying to fight to claim land against the Haudenosaunee people. So they would have been very involved in that. And it's, But it's then very interesting because we learned also what one of the mad parts that of my last episode was the fact that the French refused to hand over muskets to yeah. the First Nations. But they were also getting them drunk. And, and they were really, like, screwing them over. Like, it maybe it wasn't the Haudenosaunee's success was purely because they were great warriors, but because the other side were getting no muskets <laughs> and getting, and getting hammered by the French, who were just being the worst, like, allies ever. Whereas the British and Dutch were like, here, have all our guns and go kill them. The French are like, nah, nah, nah. You know what the French are like? Have a drink. You know what it is? C'est la vie. Yeah, but not when your people are dying. <laughs> they're, not, they're not saying that. They're just saying c'est la vie. Oh, yeah. like, yeah. and, the first and the Wyandots are like, we don't know what that means. And they're c'est like, just deal with it. La vie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this, this uh, the, the golden years are the 1670s. Nice. The 70s are great. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, reality hits. Oh. As, it, as it always does. Yeah, it comes crashing down. The year is 1682. 1682. And Frontenac is no longer governor of <gasps> New France. Sacre bleu! Sacre bleu! <laughs> Dios mio! Exactly. Oh, that's wrong. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> he is replaced by a new governor named Lafave de la Barre. Mm. I think I know him. Yeah, I'm sure you do. This governor was not anything like Frontenac and was not going to tolerate Bizarre's antics. And so he, you know what? He even called him, and I quote, a Swiss drunk. No, sorry. <laughs> and I quote, a Swiss sunken wine and drunkenness, useless for all duties because of the sluggishness of his body. Wow. And so, he said that in English. No, he didn't. Very <laughs> funny. Um, but I think basically he'd been, he did that. He broke the cardinal rule of dealing, mm. which is sampling your own produce. Really? So he'd just become a drunkard? I think he just saw that he always had all this brandy. Yeah. And he probably was being a bit he felt like he'd been sort of thrown out onto the edge of the world mm. not even with his friend his his lover maybe Fontenac who's still 160 miles up river it's yeah. a long way they are separated you know, and maybe, maybe yeah, they saw point, each other at weekends but you know it, he was hoping for this paradise in the new world and actually he's just been kind of left to manage this and and what would be at that time a kind of war-torn area and probably even quite stressful yeah but you know this is this is where love continues to power through because Frontenac Mm. even out of power remains in New France really he should have returned to continue garnering his reputation in France yeah he stays and tries he petitions for Bizarre to be made deputy governor to Mm. Labar and Labar goes having none of it no way 
not yeah. happening. But not that fact, drunkard. But the thing is, you got to remember, right? Frontenac, he's the the old money, right? Yeah. So he's putting his reputation. He doesn't care anymore. You know, when they first got to France, he had yeah. to go off and do debt, and his his lover went to the Swiss Guard. Yes. Not anymore. He's like, no, I'm putting my own reputation on the line for mm. my friend. Bizarre. Yeah. Okay. And so we actually have a quote for this. Ten years after Labar takes power away from Frontenac, Frontenac manages to scrape back control of the governorship of New France. Okay. So I don't know how, but he does. Just go with it. So <laughs> okay, sure. he's now governor once more. And he tried again to make Bizarre his second in command. So he's no longer giving him these sort of fixer-upper jobs. He's like, no, I want you close. Yeah, I want you with me. Um, but he was blocked by the royal commissioner. So he's like... And he, the royal commissioner is like more of an authority kind of... Than even the governor. Because right. he's been sent to basically audit the colony. Yeah, so he's not he's not running anything. The governor is in charge, but this is like... But this is from the... This is really... Someone from, from the head office yeah. coming to check you out. And yeah. his name was Champigny. And, and he said of Bizarre that there is no more reason than ever now to deny him. There is not an officer who has not had trouble with him. And in fact, even he did not drink... Sorry. And in fact, even if he did not drink too much, he still would lack the qualities needed for the post. Oh, so he's not done well. No, but you know what it is? He's middle class. Ah. I think that's ooh, it. it. It's catching up with him. No, but it's like they, they're never going to accept yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. living in a place where you can just climb that ladder. Wow. And I do actually, in hindsight, when I first read this, I thought, oh, he's a drunk and he's a corrupt man. But actually, I do wonder whether or not it's not that. He's just not got the right heritage. Or maybe it's a kind of combination. Maybe his, you know, drinking is because he has moved into a world which hates him for being middle class. And, you know, he felt like he could come to a new place going across the new world. This is like that drive to think that anyone can be anyone. And he's found that all these old world politics and class structures still exist and he's not able to be who he wants to be, and so turns to drink. So it may be a combination of the two. It very much could be, but Frontenac wasn't giving up so easily. Well, good. So he argues with the royal commissioner and with the king, which you just don't do. No. You know, in this time period, he's your patron. Not for anyone, you know, not for just a friend. No, you, well, well, quite. So um, he actually gives his personal guarantee. He uses his word Ooh. and says... So if this fucks up, it's it's on me. You can blame me as well. He said, I'm standing up for my friend. He mm. is, or my lover, he's competent and I will make sure he remains competent, mm-hmm. right? So that took perhaps a lot. A man's word. You've all watched the French, the, the Musketeers at some point in your yes. life. A man's word is his bond in, in those it's films. It's a big deal, yeah. Chivalry is very much alive in this mm-hmm. time period, or so to speak. So this goes backwards and forwards for three months mm. of... Does Bizarre get this position or not? And then suddenly, on the 5th of December, 1692, Bizarre dies <gasps> of natural causes. Oh, yeah, no reason at all. I think he, we don't know what he died from, but probably alcohol. Alcohol, yeah, yeah, liver damage. And Frontenac, ever his friend to the very end, repeatedly petitioned the crown to provide Bizarre's widow with a massive financial settlement. Bizarre, had was, Bizarre was married? He was, but it wasn't that important. Well, clearly, because he sailed halfway. I assume not with him. Um, uh, Back in France? No, actually, no. He marries once he becomes mayor of Montreal, because I think it could be not as a beard, but sort of as a beard. Well, I mean... As a man in politics, you have to have a family. Yeah, yeah, of of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, he dies just suddenly like that. And then, I guess, Frontenac lives out his days without his his petit bizarre. Hmm. Oh, that is sad. So it ends on a melancholy note this week and yeah. on this series, but at least it's better than the last series I ended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... But it's just... it It's fascinating because, I mean, we've taken this reading from this and I kind of said it as a joke, but that is a huge amount of... What's the word? Like... Compassion. Compassion and just effort into this person who is... I mean, maybe... And, you know, maybe we're reading to this. Maybe they are just very, very close friends. Maybe they saw something in each other. But this is, you know, it's crossing class bounds. And it just felt like over and over again, both of them would do it. We're going above and beyond to look after the other one. Yeah. And there'll be hundreds of cases in history, which actually is a gay relationship but it's just not recorded that way because it would could never be recorded that way but this is what's so incredible is that i did the research for this and mm. i didn't rush this i did this is like two weeks of proper research mm. and it never dawned on me until this is what i love about podcasting yeah. is as soon as you present it 
you don't know what's coming. It, when you that's but the, but you're reading sources and stuff, which and clearly no one else thought of that. Mm. But then when you tell it, and I'm hearing it from you, tell it in a you know a more story way, and it just li- lines up perfectly. It does. So we don't know. I mean, but crossing from Crete, think about it. He went from Switzerland to Crete to yeah. France to Canada. Yeah, and Frontenac never left Canada. And I wonder, or I don't know if he left later, but the point is, whilst Bizarre was alive, he certainly was in Canada. Mm. And it sounds like it would have done... uh, There's occasions where both of them could have benefited from splitting. Yeah. And they didn't. No. And they were so, you know, willing to sacrifice so much, you know, put their lives on the risk, put their, you know, names on the the line for each other. And it just seems that, like, there will be... You know, homosexuality didn't suddenly start in the 60s. It's been with us throughout all time. Of course. And so there will be stories of people who could never tell anyone about their relationship. And then also, but also going to a new world is what you would do if you feel constrained by your old world. If you feel that you need a fresh start, you need to, you know, for all we know, people may have started to suspect and they were worried about persecution. And going to the new world... Could have been. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm reading a lot into this. I can see you rolling your eyes. But... Well, I'm not rolling my eyes. I'm more thinking that he was being chased by debtors, which obviously. Uh, is... Yeah, that too. But, but then yeah. that might have been that the historians who I was reading, they he everyone was in debt in in society, yeah. so maybe it wasn't that. But regardless, listener, make your own mind up. We think that there might have been more to it than just friendship, mm. and we'd like to think that there was more. It feels more gentle a story now. Yeah. When, I when I first looked this up, I thought. I'm looking at a guy who saw a cash cow in Frontenac mm. and followed him until he died, literally. Mm. And so that that was it. I didn't actually which see anything it, else. It which is the could, other way to read it. But it also could be that as well. Yeah. That well, you could you can you can be a you can be gay and a gold digger. Oh, 100 percent Yeah. So <laughs> But um anyway, that that's our story, guys. So that is fascinating. To finish out our our series, our second city series. Our phase one. Yeah, the end of phase one. Thank you so, so much for continuing to stay with us and listen on it we honestly it means the world to us we mm. really really appreciate it and uh please stay tuned and keep an eye on our instagram as we give you updates of our next exciting chapter into the podcasting world yes. it should be soon i don't know when i can't tell you when but it will be soon and then from then on it will be once a month forever, forever until one of us dies <laughs> And then maybe after that, as ghosts, <laughs> wouldn't work out well, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you in the future. See you soon.